if I had a junkyard in my car, a junkyard of cars in our driveway, I'd be able to manage this sort of thing more easily. But thankfully, with young kids, we have this mirror which attaches to the back of a driver's seat or the back of a passenger seat. Just needs a little work. It's not really made for the human head. But I think you'll get the idea. It's a mirror, as you can tell. We've said several times, it doesn't really tighten as well. A headrest, it's great. There we go. There we go. So I borrowed this yesterday. I, don't, I didn't wear it around. I try to be prepared, but I don't always wear things like this. So hope you don't mind. It's a little different. We've heard Psalm 23 a number of times this morning. But again, there's this idea. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. But I want to ask you a serious question. As serious as you can manage. Some of you cannot do it right now. Some of you just cannot. Well, this may not stay on my head, but for those of you, while I've got you, I'll, I will ask you a serious question. When you look in the rear view mirror of your life, would you honestly say, surely goodness and mercy have been following me all my days? Yes. All right, that's a great answer. Some of you would say yes. I think some of you, myself included, would look back and say, there's been some hard family things. There's been dysfunction. There's been mental illness. There's been drug addiction. There's been poverty. There's been anger. There's been all sorts of things. Divorce, all kinds of brokenness. Not for all of us, and thankfully maybe not all at one time. But when I look in the rearview mirror of my life, even honestly getting ready for church this morning, what was on my mind was not, surely goodness and mercy will be following me all the days of my life. Because in my house this morning, goodness and mercy didn't feel like, I'm talking about feelings. There's the truth of what God says. It's always true. But then there's also the truth of our experience, which is that we look in the rearview mirror of our life. And what's looking back at us and what we think we see back there is things our parents struggled with, things we struggled with, bad decisions we made, words we wish we could take back. On and on it goes. It's a heavy subject to help you feel a little bit better. Something else that's been common in my house lately. I don't know exactly how, but my boys discovered the Jaws soundtrack, which is way before their time. But now at bath time, out comes the plastic shark, and we have to fill up the bathtub to a certain depth. And they've, you know, they've figured out, and they'll tell me, it's too shallow. We need more water. Jaws needs more water. And then I have to sit there and be like, it, their toy is a great white, exactly. And I have to sit there and go, dun, 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 dun. And my kids love it, you know, and they're like, the shark is like, and then they'll tell me, Dad, you're doing it a little too fast, which is true because I'm not great at music, so I don't know the time signature for the original Jaws, you know. And they're like, dun, 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 you know, and they're loving it. 
They love this idea that the shark is like following the other thing in the bathtub, you know, and they're like just waiting. And I'm sitting here going, oh, the wave produced of the water is just going to go over the sides of the bathtub. And I'm already like, where's the mop now? You know, that's what I'm thinking about. But in the background, dun, 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 and they're loving it. We're seeing different things. We're thinking about different things. But there's another piece of this that we're going to explore, surely goodness and mercy. As we think about what's following you, it's thankfully not always Jaws. It's not always bad news. It's not always hard memories. It's not always sad situations. But there's another piece that we're going to kind of look at this from two ways this morning. What's following you and for the people behind you and around you, would they say goodness and mercy is coming from this person? Because if, if, if the scriptures are true, and of course they are, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Well, that feels encouraging to us because we think, well, someday in my life, I'm going to look back and say everything's been good. Everything's been mercy. But for my kids who are in the back seat asking me questions as I drive, would they say, surely goodness and mercy are following dad? Are they living in like a wave of goodness and mercy as they follow me, as they live with me? Is there a bunch of goodness and mercy for people behind me and around me? I'm asking you this because Psalm 23, 6 quotes David. A devout Jew recording his prayer and his praise for all the other devout Jews who want to worship the Lord and this is the language they were using to express their faith. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He says really comforting things in verses 1, 2, and 3. But in verse 4, he takes a turn. And he says, there's this valley of the shadow of death. And verse 5 talks about enemies all around me. I'm at a table, but there's enemies all around me. And yet David seems positive. He seems confident. He seems hopeful. And all of Israel must have agreed because they recorded this in their worship book, the Psalms, and said, we're going to remember this. We're going to sing this to each other. It leads back to a verse one mindset. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When you've changed shepherds, you've changed your life path. Verse one is looking forward. Verse six is looking in the rearview mirror. One of the things that helps me understand God's word is reading it over and over again pondering it, deeply reflecting on it. And, and we've been reading Psalm 23 every week again and again and again. And as I've been doing that, God's revelation really like came alive for me this week, just really made so much sense for me this week. I realized Psalm 23 is, in a way, a short summary of the whole Bible. It starts out with God as the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the one in control of the life, the Lord is my shepherd. That's where David begins, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. There's a God in control of all creation. And the early verses of Psalm 23 sound like a garden. Green grass, quiet water, a person, just a person and God and the beauty of creation. It sounds like the Garden of Eden. There's no want in the Garden of Eden. Everything was good. There was no evil. There was no sin. There were no problems. Everything was great. God saw all that he had made in the garden, and it was good. Adam and Eve, they literally walked in righteous paths. 
They literally had every kind of righteousness to walk in. Whatever righteous paths were, it had to be the Garden of Eden. They were just walking around. They could do anything they wanted. The only thing they couldn't do, of course, was eat from the one tree. And David says he's walking on righteous paths, which sounds like the Garden of Eden. But then David carries on, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which also sounds like the Garden of Eden because death became a reality in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were betrayed by the serpent. When they were deceived by him and betrayed by him, death entered into the picture. And it continued for Cain and Abel and Noah and all the people leading up to present day. And then comes a table. The shepherd becomes a chef, prepares a table in the presence of these enemies who've been all over the place for all these families throughout all of history. He prepares a table. God literally made a table. The son of David is the son of God, Christ. 2 Samuel 7 talks about this. God says to David, you will have a king who sits on your throne forever. And if you look at the history of Israel, they haven't always had a king, but they've always had a coming Messiah who came, Christ. He was the king, and 2 Samuel 7 talked about that. And Christ is the bread of life. Out of him flow abundant rivers of life. He prepared a table And he said, I'm eating this with my disciples, and that's why we continue to do this every Sunday. It's from Christ, the one he was pierced for our transgressions. His blood leads to the forgiveness of our sins, the newness of our life, the hope of the future for us. God prepared the table and laid his son on it, a living sacrifice, and that's the table in the presence of our enemies. It's the table where Christ sat with his disciples. It's the table that we will one day sit with him again. In the meantime, we eat and we drink, just as he taught us to do. And after that table, David continues, there's a life of being blessed and a life of blessing others. A life that ends with dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Where will you someday dwell? On the good shepherd's ranch. I have to use a different word there because we could think, well, we just sort of dwell in a house. But because it's the metaphor of sheep, It's more like a working ranch out in the western United States or Australia or other parts of the world where they have lots and lots of sheep. There's a big ranch, and it has all kinds of different buildings, and it has a natural water supply and lots of grass and fences around it to keep out the predators. It's a big ranch, and the idea in David's mind is, I'll always dwell on that ranch. Lots of grass, big barns full of food for the winter, ponds of water when I need it, flowing water when I need it. I'll be on the king's ranch. What does God provide in dark valleys? We went through that sermon last week. The Lord has something that he provides in dark valleys, the table. And we talked about that last week. But what does God provide in dark valleys? Part two, what's good things behind, better things ahead, and a table for today. What the good shepherd started in a garden goes through dark paths. But God's leadership in your life ends with dwelling on God's ranch forever. There's garden and there's grief, but there's also guidance and grace through the gospel. There's eternal grace. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We go from the garden. I'm sticking with the Garden of Eden metaphor here and the whole idea of scripture. We go from the garden through the grief and the grit and the grind, and the difficulties, but grace is always with us and leads us into an eternal home. God's house, God's ranch, a place where all our needs are met. It's the story of scripture. 
It's the story of our individual lives, like Stephanie mentioned, answered prayers. It's the story of our lives. It's the story of scripture. It's the story of the gospel. When you want to share your faith with someone, if you get the chance this week or you just make the chance, if you're really bold and you just make the chance and go for it and you share the gospel with somebody, there's this story that you're trying to get them into. I don't know if you start with the grief part or you start with the grace part. I mean, you're going to be talking to a human being, so it's hard to know what they're going to bring up. You'll just see where they are. You'll find out. You'll end up in some conversation, and there'll be no script, chances are. But know that these categories kind of exist. A really, really beautiful, wonderful beginning, a serious chapter of darkness and difficulty, and then hope for now and hope for the future. That's why I say, what does God provide in dark valleys? What's good things behind and better things ahead and a table for today? So you can figure out how to break that down with that person, but... Just know that you can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And David doesn't say the darkness is over, clearly. He's not saying the darkness is over. You know yourself, darkness, it's not over. Hard times, not over. Last week, we talked about God providing this table. This table where God is our friend, a table of abundance, a table of purpose, David understood I'm sitting down at God's table and it's abundance and it's friendship, but it's also a purpose for me as a person to go serve God's works out in the world that he went to do. And David did that. But for us, God changes your rear view and your front view. He changes things in the middle between your past and your future. It's pretty easy. Now, we can stick our head in the sand as human beings and say, my past was great. Denial is sort of an option. <laughs> you tend to wake up in the middle of the night finding it harder to have that denial. Or some other situation unfolds in life and that denial sort of shatters. But for a while, we can try to have denial. But in the middle of your life, God says, let me change your rear view. Let me change your front view. Let me change what's in the past. Let me change what you're heading toward. And verse 6 captures that. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The good shepherd who started something in David's life is going to bring it to the end. He started with a table, but that table flows. What happened at that table goes into David's future for the rest of his life. David accepted the good shepherd. David surrendered to sit at the table, even when he's surrounded by scary enemies. And he said, I'm going to be God's friend, and the mercy is going to follow me even when I leave the table. That's why I say what's, what's in his front windshield, if you will. That's what's in his front windshield. He's looking out at good things. It's better things ahead and good things behind for him. And then David says, I shall dwell. And that's the same as verse 1. He said, I shall not want. And verse 6, he says, I shall dwell. Same word. He doesn't dwell yet. But he will dwell. He's not in a place where he has all his needs met in verse 1. He doesn't say, I do not want. He says, I shall not want. God is orchestrating a situation in my life. And now he's at verse 6, wrapping up this song of praise and prayer. And he says, I shall dwell. I shall dwell. He's as confident in verse 6 as he was in verse 1. He's talking about a different thing. But he's just as confident, just as secure. What difference does goodness and mercy in your rearview mirror make? What difference does a good shepherd make? I mean, practically, when Tuesday comes, tomorrow morning comes, this afternoon, 
when your car breaks down or whatever else, you know, kind of frustrates you or your neighbor gets angry or that person at work that's never been easy to work with is still not easy to work with. What difference does it make in those moments? Well, I want to celebrate just a little bit. It seems off topic, but I just want to say we have a surprise coming for Easter. A group of us got together and started talking about what can we do the week of Easter and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, and we started coming up with some great ideas. So that's one way that we're going to powerfully communicate what difference does a good shepherd make as Easter is only a few weeks away. We started asking God, and we were, you know, we're going to have to, you're going to have to wait till Easter to find out more, but we just, we just got really excited to try to give you a picture of what a difference it makes. And some people more creative than me started throwing out ideas, and we've got some exciting times planned. So I'm really looking forward to that. But, but today, for now, what difference does goodness and mercy make? Well, here it is. The good shepherd has taken away your past. You're driving through your life, and you've got this mirror. I'm holding it up so I can see it. I've got this thing behind me. And what you can't see from where you're sitting, but what I can see is that when I look in this mirror right now, I see the cross. When we choose Christ as our chief shepherd, we look in our rearview mirror, we see the cross. Someone who gave themselves for us, whose blood changes us, whose death gives us life, who takes away our sins, the forgiveness, the hope, the joy, and replaces all of it. He took on himself all our sins so that he could put on us the righteousness of God, the new life of God, the indestructible, abundant grace of God for us. That's what's in our rearview mirror when we choose him as our chief shepherd. Now, what else happens is your good shepherd guards you from enemies. When Israel was leaving behind Egypt and finding its new identity as a group of people who were God's people, there's passages where it says the glory of the Lord will be their rear guard. How much more so for us as believers? The glory of the Lord will be our rear guard. God is behind us, watching us, protecting us. So when we look back, we see his protection. We see his help. We see his provision. He's taking care of us. Romans 6, 4 says, you walk in newness of life. When you look in the rearview mirror of your life, you have a memory at least. I know things just don't disappear when we follow Christ. You have old habits, old paths, bad memories, things you've said, things you've done. That stuff can be back there. But Romans 6, 4 says, you have a new way of life. You're walking in newness of life. Life has changed. Do you maybe remember those things or sometimes do those things? So do I. So do I. But Romans 6, 4 is even more true than my experience. I walk in newness of life, new life through Christ. My old way of life doesn't determine my future. Christ determines my future. He's the good shepherd. I shall not want, I shall dwell. Because he's making sure. How can you be sure that God's leading you? I mean, David had so much confidence, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, the answer is simple. God has been leading him all through this psalm, all through his life, really. So David's saying, I know I shall dwell in the house of the Lord because the Lord's leading my life. And to you, I would say, as you think about an unknown future, how would God lead you anywhere else but where he's going? It's inconsistent with his character, right? He loves you. He has a place prepared for you. That's what John 14 says. So, of course, he's going to take you there. If I invited you over to my house for dinner, I wouldn't say, oh, just follow me, and then drive you to somebody else's house. 
and like awkwardly push the garage door opener button and be like, I don't know why the garage door doesn't work. And then some guy comes out and is like, what are you doing in my driveway? You know, then you'd be like, this is not Ben's house. What is Ben doing? Ben is such a weird person. I'm never going out to eat with him again. No, God takes us to his place. He leads us where he wants us to go and he guarantees to get us there. And if you get back on old paths, which does happen from time to time, those old habits, those things that we all struggle with, whatever they are for each one of us, those old things crop back up again, start to influence us. I say from time to time because I think of it as training. You were trained to live a certain way. Your family of origin, growing up here, growing up somewhere else, whatever it was, you were trained to live a certain way. So you get back into old habits from time to time. They pop back up because of training. And you might have to talk to the good shepherd and say, I ended up over here again. (laughs) Remember where you found me the first time? I feel like I'm back over there acting like who I was or acting like my parents or acting like my society or acting like whatever. I'm back over here again. The good shepherd says, I made you a promise. I'm coming. I'll lead you back. We'll wander through whatever mess you went through to get over there. I will lead you back. I will get you where I'm wanting you to go. You can take a look out the front windshield of your life. What are you dwelling in? Or put it another way, what direction are you heading in? What do you see out in front of you? Does it look like the world that God wants to lead you into? Do you feel like I'm, I'm, I'm moving into more and more goodness and mercy and abundance and love of grace and truth? Is that increasing? Is that what's out the front window? If you're not alert, it's easy in our day and time to dwell in all kinds of junk. I know I'm joking about looking and talking about like looking out mirrors and looking at windshields a lot, but you can scroll up on your phone, do your internet search history on a computer. You can get out your calendar and say, how do I spend my time this week? How do I spend my energy this week? All of these things are the mirror, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the people we're with, the things we scroll on our phones, the searches we do the google this and google that all that kind of stuff it's all going on in our mind what are we dwelling in another way to tell might just be to say how much anxiety how much reactivity and stress and tension this morning was the kind of day for me where like i could feel it in my body driving to church i went from like ordinary moment at home things are smooth going fine to like i think i might have a headache (laughs) I think I'm, and I'm fine, but it's not like a medical thing. It's just like a family thing, just like a moment of like, you know, and it's mostly just me (laughs) who's like, man, you know, am I like, where am I going with my life this morning? Who, Who am I thinking about? What am I dwelling on? What's my focus on? All this kind of stuff comes up. What am I dwelling on? What am I thinking about? Philippians 4, 8. I didn't write it. Oh, here it is. Finally, brethren, whatever is true. Whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good reputation, if there is anything excellent and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. By the way, I have to write it down because I cannot remember all those individual nouns. Paul, Paul knew, like, there's all these things through the Holy Spirit I want people to remember, but I have to write them down. And it's true, it's honorable, it's right, it's lovely, it's excellent. It's a good reputation. It's excellent. It's worthy of praise. Dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. What does God do in dark times? 
What difference does Christian make, Christian faith make when it's tense at work, when it's tense at home? Starting to feel tension around out in our general sort of society. There's tension. People do things at work. People say things. I don't know. I can tell you how many emails I got this week telling me it's an election year. Apparently, I'm supposed to, you know, start feeling the heat because it's an election year. So I'm getting emails warning me it's an election year, you know, trying to stimulate this stuff. What difference does faith make? Well, God says there's going to be good things behind, there's going to be better things ahead, and there's a table right now. Sit at it. Relax. David sat at a table with God and became his friend. David chose God as a good shepherd. He let God lead his life. And David had his own things. He lost a son. When you read David's whole life in the scriptures, he lost a son. He had a wife who was really critical of him at a moment. He's worshiping God with all of his heart and just loving the Lord, and his wife's really critical of him. And he loses a son because of his own sin and his own mistakes. And he was a soldier, so he was in lots of battles. That must have come with memories. I don't think, and you know, and there was Saul, the king who was attacking David and hating David. And I don't think David forgot about all these things, but he said, I'm going to sit at the table. I have a friend in the Lord who's my good shepherd. I shall not want. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And he goes through the story of scripture, creation, fall, the negative, the hard stuff, the good stuff, the redemption and the restoration of his life. I have a, an acquaintance that I've been getting to know. And sometimes I'll talk to him and I'll say like, how are you doing? And I'm sort of just wanting like a shallow answer. And he'll say, man, my mind is a dark place. I don't go in there without a gun and a flashlight. And I'm like, well, (laughs) gotta be somewhere. (laughs) You know, I don't know what, I mean, it's clever. Like I like the language, you know, I'm like, man, that guy, you know, he should get a job like speaking or something like that's clever, you know, but the whole like, whoo. It's like intense, you know, what's going on in his life? Who is he? What is he even talking about? Like that's, I mean, just, you know, he's, it's, it's authentic, but it's also like just creates more questions than answers. Like I thought he would just talk about the weather or something. <laughs> Whatever he's talking about, you have plenty of good to dwell on. Maybe you have some bad in the rearview mirror. That's fair. But you can sing that third stanza or verse of amazing grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Grace has brought me thus far, and grace shall bring me home. I I sing that part of amazing grace to myself sometimes. And then I, I I should do it more, quite honestly. And I want to do more Psalm 23 to myself. More, I shall dwell, I shall not want... He leads me, present tense, (laughs) he leads me, and I need that. Tuesdays, Thursdays, late nights, early mornings, when life is starting to like make the pressure in here go, it's like amazing grace, I shall not want. Those are the moments in life. They have dark times, discouraging times. Like, how will I make it through this? I I usually don't have the answer to the question, but I I can say I have already come. I can say he leads me. I didn't get through the dangers and the toils and snares of my life because I was stronger, faster, smarter. I remember some kind of motivational physical fitness video that was like stronger, faster, better, or quicker, higher, faster, or something, you know? Like, I mean, that sells great videos, you know? But like, no, that's not life. It is not stronger, faster, smarter at these hard moments of our life. It's It's grace. 
that brought us safe thus far. It's grace that shall bring us home. It's David saying, I don't dwell in the house of the Lord, but I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. I have one last thing for you to dwell on, one last question before we go. What follows you? One of the things I learned about having this in the minivan from the backseat drivers, I don't know if you have backseat drivers in your family. I have backseat drivers in my family. And I'm thinking some of you have front seat drivers, so have front seat co-pilots. I won't, I'm not here to talk about front seat co-pilots. You, you got to work that out. That's, we have front seat co-pilots in our family too, but I'm not going to go there right now. I'm just going to stick to the backseat drivers in my family. When this is on the back of the headrest, I have no clue what people behind me think about it. I don't see, the, I mean, I, I can look and kind of like see their faces and have a clue, but they're just looking at this the whole time. They're looking in this mirror, seeing this the whole time. But Psalm 23 got me thinking that it'd be easy for me to say, because I believe in God's word, it'd be easy for me to say, Psalm 23 says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'm excited. Because my, my heart, discouraged as it can be at times, will go, dude, it's like winning the lottery every day. <laughs> following Jesus, better. Rita says it's better. better. I don't know what's better, but following the lottery, winning the lottery every day, surely goodness and mercy. My coworkers are going to be nice. My work's going to get done ahead of schedule. My family's going to be chill. We're going to be good to each other. We're never going to have to, like, quote the Ten Commandments. We're never going to have to say to myself, don't violate the Ten Commandments right now, you know? Like, we're never going to, like, that's what I think that Psalm 23 could get, like, twisted in my brain. And I'd be like, it's all goodness and mercy. It's all going to be goodness and mercy. But there's a challenge in that as well. If goodness and mercy are following me purely because of God's grace, are the people behind me, the people influenced by me, saying, wow, being behind Ben is goodness and mercy? Or are they saying, hmm, I don't really see the good shepherd <laughs> right now. And that's when the backseat drivers come out in my family. And I don't have any outstanding motor vehicle infractions I don't have a history of car accidents, thankfully. Like, I'm doing well on the driving record. But my kids, if you hear them talk about it, sorry, my backseat drivers, I don't want to identify people. My backseat drivers, <laughs> to hear them talk about it, it leaves the distinct impression in my mind that they don't think goodness and mercy is following me back there in the backseat. What do your loved ones see out the window? Here's where we have to fast forward from Psalm 23 to the New Testament, to the new order that Christ created. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship. This is believers. This is Christians. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I'll tell you a little story about how it plays out. In Acts chapter 26, this is a, a busy time in Paul's life. He's encountered Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. It changes his whole life, and he just becomes a traveling man. Long story short, he's just a traveling man going everywhere he can go telling people about Jesus. And in Acts 26, it's kind of wrapping up. He's actually been arrested. He's on a sort of house arrest, we might call it, but he's, he's held in, a, in a, a royal prison, but he's got it way better than like prison. He's, you know, under house arrest kind of situation. 
And as, as the king passes through, the case has kind of worked its way up the food chain to the king. And now the king comes and the king's listening to Paul. And in Acts chapter 26, the apostle, it is a trial. And as he talks to the king, Paul shares his life's behavior. I'm summarizing this rapidly for you. He, he talks to the king and he kind of summarizes his whole life. And he says, these are all the things I'm being accused of. These are all the things people say that I've done wrong. They're attacking me for all these things I've done and all these things I've said. But this is my actual life story. And then he defends himself some, and he defends himself against certain attacks, the criticisms of his opponents who were saying that he's been breaking all these laws and doing all these things. But then he also reveals how the gospel affected him. He starts talking about the gospel, not just his behavior. And he says to the king, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision that's speaking of what he saw in Acts 9 when Christ appeared. He says, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. It's that last part that connects to Psalm 23. I wanted you to hear the whole thing from Paul, what he said. But he said Christians repent and they turn to God and they live lives like people who've turned to God. They live lives like people who've said, I was doing a bunch of other stuff, but I've turned around. They don't just turn to God. I don't know if this happens here as much, but it was sort of something I'd run into in the South as I was growing up that people would say, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, you know. Okay, because, you know, like I saw you yesterday, you didn't, I'm not sure you were <laughs> yesterday, right? And I'm not just trying to be judgmental, it just was sort of normal to say like, oh yeah, I did that, oh yeah, I did that, you know. But there was no real commitment, it was the same as people who'd be like, oh yeah, I love the Tennessee football team, haven't been to a game in 25 years, don't own anything orange, but I love the football team, you know. We kind of know, like, they're not really into it, right? They don't have the clothes, they don't have the habits, right? They don't have the activities. Paul is saying... People have turned to God and changed their life, changed how they live. When others have been around you, would they say, surely goodness and mercy have followed you for the last few days of your life? Would they say, wow, I see that God has prepared in advance good works for you to do, and you're walking in them. Thanks for doing good works. Many of you are. I'm not disappointed in you. I'm not attacking you this morning. I'm just being honest that I think it's part of Psalm 23's invitation and challenge to let goodness and to, to be telling ourselves goodness and mercy is coming to me. It's following me. But it also means I get to create this gigantic channel behind me of goodness and mercy for other people. One time I was hanging out with friends named Chris and Emily, a brother and sister, and I had a milkshake maker. I asked my wife if we still have this milkshake maker. She said no. <laughs> so we don't have it anymore, but it looked a lot like that, except it was black. And some of you right now are going, wait a minute, he talked about milkshakes last Sunday, and now he's talking about milkshakes again? Like, what is his deal? What is going on at the Green household with milkshakes? Well, nothing. We got rid of it, all right? So the, the, the you know, it wasn't never like idolatry, but let's just, you know, but I mean, we got rid of the blender, okay? So the milkshake maker is gone. So this was down in Baltimore where I knew Chris and Emily. Some hot summer day, they're having people over. I bring the milkshake maker over. Like, we should make milkshakes, you know? Of course. I love them. We're making them. As I get to their house, I come in carrying the milkshake maker, which is just like that metal cup 
jammed up in this thing that holds it, and I've got the milkshake maker and the cord wrapped around my arm and all that. And I come in, Chris's immediate response was very close to, you add value wherever you go. You know what I mean? You add value wherever you go. And I'm like, hey, I feel pretty good about myself. And then he's like, you got the blender? Let's go plug it in. You know, he was thinking about the blender, of course. Less, But it was one of those things where I know deep down inside, because I'd known him a while, like, he's saying, you add value. You add value. I still remember those three words. And I, I do think he loved milkshakes as much as me, and he was totally looking for the milkshakes. I'm okay with that. I don't think I'm some amazing human being who's like just, woo, like people always say you add value because that is not what I hear on a regular basis. So I know that that's not the whole story. But is that the impression that we leave on people? Goodness, mercy, glad you came. You add value. Even if it's, you know, it's just a milkshake maker, but you add value. That's the big idea. It's the only time in my life somebody ever said it. It hasn't happened since either. But would it be the kind of situation where we could start to say, hey, man, that guy just left my house. Goodness and mercy. Xfinity guy came to the building this week. We have internet here. He came to swap out the modem because Greg said it was a good idea. I have no idea what he thought, but I wonder if he came in and was like, man, just kind of nice to be in that building. Just kind of nice to be around those people. A little bit different to drop off a modem there and upgrade the network there than it was wherever he went after this. Many of you are doing well at this, I'm sure. I just wanted to capture the sense that you can leave goodness and mercy trailing behind you. That's the beauty of repentance. As you change, as things change in your life, you're going to start seeing different stuff out the front window. You're going to look in the rear view mirror and say, it's just the cross back there. It's all taken care of. It's all taken care of. Christ said, it is finished. I'm going to be preaching Easter if I'm not careful. He said, it is finished. It is finished. But the people behind you can also be going, man, goodness and mercy. I like the good shepherd in that guy's life. I like the good shepherd in that person's life. I wish I delivered more modems to that place. I wish that milkshake maker would show up at my house. And it doesn't mean that people are going to immediately get it and make total sense and it'll just click and they'll be like, oh, so amazing. But little by little, they can start to say, okay. Because it's not too hard to see a light shining in the darkness, right? You just need that person in your house who flips on the light switch at 3 in the morning. Like, you know what light is, right? You get it. It's like, whoo, that's bright. And you don't have to clean mud off of somebody else's rearview mirror and off their windshield. You don't have to do their work for them. You can just let it come from you and let it follow you. Leave goodness and mercy trailing behind you. Practice your own faith. Love others like God loves you. Dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. It's not Jaws, and it's not bad news, but it is following you. And if it's not following you enough, the good shepherd says, I can fix this. I can change this. I can turn this around. I can help it. Take a minute to pray for us. We'll do what we've continued to do. It's kind of experimental. Just to give us time to respond to the Lord. And I need prayer too, by the way, because I was thinking about what to preach next, because this is it for Psalm 23. And we plan to worship Christ again in the future. So <laughs> going forward, and I plan to be part of that. So you can pray for me as to what what the Lord wants to say to you, 
you might hear answers. That's the beauty of prayer, like we sang about this morning. But the Lord wants to speak to you, so I'm listening to him. Please pray for me that I hear him. Please share what he says to you about that. But for now, we've got this time. You can look in your own mind and heart, think about what's behind you. You can think about what's in front of you. You may want to look deeply at the cross. You may want to pray with someone here. I don't know. There's, this is an experimental time for you to respond to how the Lord's been speaking to you. But I would give you a couple of things to think about. One is, what's, what's a message or an action you can do this week that would create goodness and mercy in somebody else's life? Something natural that flows out of you. Something that pretty organically comes from you and from your life and your relationships. In the meantime, right now, whatever you see behind you, whatever's coming to mind, if you're feeling pretty discouraged about your days, you're at the table right now. What's something you could say, I need some daily bread, God. I'm at the table, God. I need something for you to supply right now, Lord. Because he's your father. He loves you. He wants to meet that need. And I remind you again as well of Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good reputation, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. What can you dwell on as you live between your past and your future?
Father, it is your goodness. It's your goodness that's coming after us. And if there's anything good behind us that other people see, it's the goodness that you did. It's the goodness that you worked out in us, that you poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit by our faith in Jesus Christ, who makes us new creations, who makes us walk in newness of life. This is your work, and we praise you for it. It's your goodness running after us. You're the good shepherd. You're the good shepherd, and we're the sheep. We didn't know if we if we use the words of Psalm 23, we didn't know when we were in the grasses and the quiet waters that a table was coming. We didn't know that a big ranch was coming that was full of all the safety and all the food and all the provision and all the good things that you have in store for those who love you. The, the full delights of heaven and the security and the joy and the everlasting praise and worship and wonder of heaven. We could have never understood it all. We still don't get our heads around it, but you are the good shepherd. And we hold tight to the promise that we shall not want and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And you are our leader, you are our guide, and you know us as well as you know the people around us that we will spend the afternoon with, the week with, the work, the school, the people we love to see and the people that we don't mind when they're not around. You know all the situations, and we just pray for the light of the world that is in us to shine in the darkness. Pray that we could keep our eyes fixed on what's in our rearview mirror and what's out our front mirror and not everybody else's, and just dwell on whatever's excellent, whatever's lovely and true and good. For these are the things that come from you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.